0: This is a Soulfire production. I am talking about genuine peace, not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. People have got to know whether or not their president's a (laughs) crook. You fool me, you can't get fooled again. I was a businessman doing business. By the military industrial complex. And Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. Yes, we can. Thank you. We as a people will get to the promised land. What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to Politically Homeless. This will be the last time that you hear me say, welcome back to Politically Homeless. Ah, Things are changing. Things are changing for me. Things are changing for the show. And I wanted to break a lot of that down for you guys uh, today. I apologize to everybody in the Patreon because they have kind of heard me talk through this as I trust them more than anyone to help me kind of suss this out and, and reform what the show will be uh, doing in the future. But we're going to be moving the show title and kind of the focus of the show back to Connor Wanders, what it was um, at the very beginning when I started doing this kind of solo show at the very beginning of COVID times, um, once COVID killed my business. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, uh, before COVID happened, um, I had worked in personal development for several years. Um it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh and I loved coaching people. It was great. It wasn't like I wasn't I never was in anything I did whether it be coaching fitness or coaching little league or, or coaching individuals and kind of personal development stuff. Um I never was like the stereotypical like shove crystals crystals up your ass like think positive thoughts type of coach. I've always been and you may have known that maybe while you're here. I've always been a very objective person. Um, I have, a, I used to call it I have like a gift of objectivity. I don't really, uh, very few ideas do I get really attached to. It's not really my thing. I don't find a lot of value in it. And over the last several years, um, I've really started to understand more and more about myself. My life has changed uh, substantially. So during that time, one thing that I've really worked on people with was how to show up in a way that was... More productive for them, right? And how to show up in their lives in a way that was more productive for them, and a lot of that relied on the feedback of human communication, human human interaction, and then along comes COVID and just ends human interaction as we know it uh, for a few years, a couple of years at least. And through that three years, I felt like during the COVID times. Um, what I was doing actually offered a lot of value. One of the most common things I heard from people during COVID uh, was you make me feel not crazy because we were, make no mistake, we were all being gaslit on a very large scale. Um, And I had a principled stance against the way that was being done. The, the level of manipulation, the level of of exploitation, um, again, the gaslighting. It was just so much, the blatant lies and, and it was, it was so much for me to handle. And I carried a lot of resentment into that. Um, because my life as somebody who is kind of thrives on connection and human interaction was impacted in, in a big way. I mean, my mental health was kind of put to shit. Like it was bad. I'd moved to Denver with my wife or girlfriend at the time. um, and didn't really have any friends, and then two months later, you know, we'll get the COVID thing, and then I am, you know, for a year, like, somebody who, who is extremely extroverted and loves being around people just was not, and it was not good for me, um, but I found the podcast as a way to, like, maybe vent some frustration and also do it, try and do it in a, in a productive way, because I had been politically engaged quietly for years. Um, So, as that kind of moved on and and one thing that I've learned, I mean, thinking about the last three years I've gotten married, I have a kid now. My daughter is the best. Being a dad is my favorite thing I've ever done ever. Um, I'm actually pretty good at it apparently. (laughs) So that's, that feels nice. Uh, And I've changed a lot. Um, And when I kind of took some time off for paternity leave that ended up being, you know, it's been about two months now that I haven't done a show publicly um, and just been putting out stuff from the Patreon and Instagram and, Actually, purged my Instagram of anything that had to do with COVID or Trump or Ukraine or any of these things that I felt like were getting my content suppressed. Um, as I reflected on on where I was at, uh, I realized that one, just kind of wading through the the muck and the darkness that is politics, um, was not good for me. Right, as somebody who really cares about showing up in your life as the best version of yourself. And 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 helping others do the same uh, and thrives in that, like, I wasn't doing that for myself. And nothing made that more clear to me than when my daughter was born. Uh, when Robbie was born, like, I just, I was like, I'm going to let myself get all wound up and bound up over over shit that I can do nothing about. And there's really not much that we can do aside from use it to create some kind of grift on the right or the left, which is abundantly common and really a great way to make have some financial success in this industry. Um, or just bitch about things constantly and spin yourself in circles. I call it like pissing into the wind. You know, it's like what's what's the real point here? Are we going to make those changes? And over some time and some reflection and some journaling and kind of getting back to myself, I, I started to figure out what I had taken away from the past few years and how I could how I could apply that going forward. And what it really came down to was I'm not taking on big tech, right? I'm not going to sit down with Mark Zuckerberg and talk to him about content moderation. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to sit down with Zelensky and Putin and broker a peace deal, right? And there are great people out there that are, that are covering these things, Taibbi, Russell Brand. Like there's people that are doing a great job, people that I look up to and respect. And when things are substantial, They will be covered on this show, but they'll be covered through the lens of what we can do about it in our own lives. Maybe give you a brief rundown, just so you can know what you need to care about and what you don't. Um, That's something I feel like I'm pretty talented in doing: is kind of figuring out what actually fucking matters and applying that, and 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 communicating that in in an effective way. Um, But outside of that, I really want to redefine and refocus the show on what we can do as individuals in our own lives, in our own families, in our own communities to make some kind of change. You know, if we can, as 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people, right, make some small shifts in our own lives, you know, inspire other people, motivate other people, make an example for other people, especially our kids and our families and our communities, that's something, right, that's something. Bitching about content moderation, which is financially and just like mentally <laughs> hammered me over the past few years, um, isn't going to do anything, Right bitching and moaning about endless wars and 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 funneling billions of dollars to Ukraine for God knows what isn't going to change anything, right? But what I can do is take that time that I'm investing into all of those things, redistribute that in a way that is more productive for me, and then try to provide you something that's more productive for you. Um, but as I looked back on the past few years and thought about what we were doing here, um... I found that one thing that talking about politics constantly helped me see in myself was the importance of principles. And if you listen to this show often, you've heard me talk about taking a principled stance. And it's something that I've, I've seen in myself. And I used to talk a lot before I made the shift into politics, I talked a lot about values. And while I do think values are incredibly important, um, I think that underneath that, we have our foundational principles. And I want to talk a little bit about what the principles of this show are uh, going forward and give you an idea of what to expect. And we are still going to talk about cultural and political things. You know, we may have a little bit more fun with it, you know what I mean? And try and get some laughs out of the craziness and, and do what we can. You know, at the end of the day, I hope, I hope that we can kind of leverage the madness we live in for our own kind of personal development. You know, like in our own lives, be like, how, how can I use this cultural reflection in my own reality and kind of do something productive with it? And if we can't do that, then maybe I don't need to give a fuck. You know, maybe that's just not where I need to spend my time. And that's what I've noticed. And maybe I, I've heard that from a lot of other people as well. Some feedback from other folks, especially in the Patreon, they're like, yeah, I just can't even really be engaged with the city more. I'm exhausted. But there was a time during all this stuff and the riots and January 6th and COVID and all this, like where it's we got kind of addicted to this and we got put on the defensive and we got put in these like emotionally heightened States all the time. And I think finally over the past six months, maybe a year it's been kind of like a down regulation and getting back into ourselves and in our own lives. And I feel like there's an opportunity for us to do something bigger here and better here and more productive here. Um, and that's what I want to do. So as far as the structure of the show, it may be similar to what it is now. It'll kind of evolve and grow as, as we start doing this and finding where, where the productive friction is in this whole thing. There will be more conversations and that will all be on this feed. So if you're familiar with uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast, how he has his solo shows and then he has the interviews and they're all kind of mixed in depending on what he's doing at the time. That's what I want to be doing as well. It's going to be, there'll be interviews, but it'll all be based on these principles, right? And I want to go through those with you guys and kind of talk them through. And this doesn't mean that these need to be your principles. These are my principles in my own life. Something that I've kind of dug into, um, but I do think that understanding your principles is important and I hope that through mine I can help you maybe see yours and we can have this kind of back and forth and discuss them and and where values kind of line up and where action kind of lines up within these principles. Um, so I like the, the, the idea of three, three principles. It's kind of good to like, that's a good round number, add some diversity into your life uh, as far as ideology goes and the way that you line yourself up. So let's just go through those really quick. The first one that really stands out to me. And this has been a principle since the beginning. I remember when the first time I did like value determination stuff back when I was working at CrossFit Central in Austin, great place, by the way. Uh, we went through some of this stuff and I realized like how important curiosity was to me. Right. And I don't think I had ever really put that as this like foundational principle. I'd always thought of it as a value and kind of a personality trait. But really, if I look back at my life and I've lived long enough now, I'm 36 years old, and I look at where I've, grown and where I've kind of thrived and and what the continuous patterns are in my life I'm just a curious person right to the to, to a fault probably I'm always like you know you, you know that guys are like oh shiny thing squirrel you know it's like we we have that kind of a kind of um temperament but for me I've always been really interested and I think it's because it's a response to the lack of experience and lack of um, kind of context that I gained in my early life growing up in a small town uh, being religious in, in the in the kind of mainstream idea and offering of what we get here in the United States generally as far as religion like Texas Baptist type of thing which is pretty restrictive and has value of course and, and those kind of things but for me wasn't didn't really fit me and we'll go into some of that later because we have some some interesting information of kind of some polling on where people are at. Um, emotionally, spiritually, and politically in this country over the past 30 years. But as I look at curiosity, like I've, after getting out of that, and especially once I got to uh, Texas State, when I moved, that was my third year of college, I transferred twice, I played football my first year, second year just kind of like tried to push through and I was injured and it was, it was a hard time for me. And then it ended up at Texas State and started just like having a good time, having the real college experience for a first time and growing up a little bit and just kind of, starting to see through, and it challenged a lot of people even then. That's kind of when I started to be, started to really challenge convention on a large scale, and oddly enough, that was in my fraternity. Like, I caused a lot of friction in my fraternity just by challenging things, and I enjoyed enjoyed the shit out of that. Um, but as I grew up older, you know, I got into CrossFit, and there's so many different modalities in that, in that, program. So it was like, it just was a breeding ground for like me being curious about gymnastics and weightlifting and different styles of teaching these things and how to use your mannerisms. Like I used to watch, uh, Kelly Sturette mobility wad videos back in the day, early Kelly Sturette, like when he started the mobility wad project. And I know it's called the ready state. It's something completely different. But back then I would watch these videos and just binge watch these videos, but I would watch it all the way through with the sound on, And just like listen to the information and try to get as much information as I could. And then, because I was learning at the time, I was like 21, 20 years old. I was learning about the power of motor neurons and like watching people. And uh, mirror neurons, excuse me, mirror neurons and how you reflect what you see when you're in that position of teaching. So I would watch the videos a second time through with the sound off. And just try and like learn from the way that he used his body to explain what he was talking about. And it was, I just got so excited just dug so deep and just was so like feverishly curious about learning about this thing that just intrigued me. And I've been, I've seen that trend in my life. I mean, now it's, it's kind of like that with golf. Now it's oddly enough, um, elk hunting. I've been like that with archery. It's just been a handful of things that just like scratch that itch for me that just provide me kind of a, a breeding ground to be passionate and curious about things. And I think that Openness to experiences, openness to a diverse set of experiences in our lives actually gives us more free will. I think that curiosity leads to more free will. And when it comes to free will, there are, I think there are more limits to our free will. If you're actually mindful of yourself, you'll notice that things kind of just happen and you can't really say why you chose this versus that. Right, you can justify, but it's really hard to understand if you get down in there and like how much free will do we actually have? And for me, I, I operate from the, the belief that you can't choose something that doesn't occur to you to be chosen. And when you dig into that, it's like, well, how does something occur to you to be chosen? Well, via experience. Right? If you experience something, you have more context. With more context, you have more options. With more options, more things can occur to you to be chosen, which leads to more free will. And having freedom as a value, right? Not a principle for me necessarily, but for some it may be. As a value, I think free will is a huge part of that. And I feel like that is the product of a diverse set of experience driven by curiosity. Now, as we go on, I also think... And believe that via curiosity, we can obtain something called like steel manning the other side. I was recently on a podcast called The Art of Masculinity with my buddy Johnny. Great dude. We had a great conversation. Went way over. I think we did like an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> we had a great time. And dug deep. We were talking about this. And he was like, you know, what What can we do in this like environment of hyper-partisanship and anger and frustration? What can we do in this to keep our head on straight, like not fuck this up, like not get caught up in all of it. And I'm like, if, if you can't make a case for your opposition, if you can't steal, man, what you're against and make an actual case, if you're a hardcore libertarian, if you can't make a case for socialism, right, a real one, because they're valid, they have valid points, right? And then same thing, if you're a socialist or whatever it is, you can't make a case for libertarianism right, and see the commonalities, look at the Venn diagram and see what issues you actually agree are problems and maybe you have different solutions, but can you, you, can you make a case for that? If you can't do that, well, then you're kind of fucked, right? You don't really have a position, you have an ideology, you're, you're entrenched, but you really don't have a, 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 the opportunity to even make a valid choice if you can't really see the, the, the perspective of the other side. Now, that's empathy in many ways, right? It's objectivity in many ways. And I think that also is driven by curiosity. And I think curiosity leads into other things, right? You can find stuff that you love by just trying new stuff and being open to that and not being so reactive. So if we can get ourselves in a state through curiosity that we're less reactive and more responsive, right, more mindful in the way we respond to things, that can be a very productive way of living life, right? And through that, we could add in what I call like productive friction, right? Because we want resistance in our lives, right? R- resistance makes us grow, makes us stronger. It gives us something to achieve, you know? If you're always walking downhill, that's not a very productive way to live, right? You're just kind of going with the flow. You don't, have, you don't have that tenacity, that real, like that, that, that grit. And I think that's super important, men, women, whatever, right? They, thems we all need some kind of friction in our lives but are we mindful and conscious in the way that we put the friction in our lives in a way that is productive for us and i think to do that again you need to be curious about what's out there in the world which brings us to the second principle of this show which is resilience and you'll notice that these the reason these are principles and not values is because they manifest in different ways, right? Values can change, actions can change, but principles are a little bit less fluid in the way that they function, right? So resilience, what does that mean? Well, discipline, effort, structure, work capacity. And when I say work capacity, I mean, of course, physical work capacity, mental work capacity, uh, spiritual work capacity, emotional work capacity. Like where can you focus on your life to become more resilient? also find things like being able to grow your own food or harvest your own food, right? Knowing how to fix things. If shit were to go down and grocery stores didn't exist, how long could you survive, right? That's a valuable question for anybody to ask themselves, especially given our current climate because you never know what can happen. How resilient are you in the face of some kind of adversity, right? And that may manifest itself different for different people, right? For me, that I, I think that, The ability, like if there were no grocery stores, I wouldn't be that concerned, right? I've got stockpiles of of food. I've got elk and deer, and we bought half a cow, so that's kind of hanging around. I've got dried foods, but also I've got access to animals, and I know what to do and how to handle that, right? That makes me a more resilient human being. Maybe that's growing food for you. Maybe that's having a, a quality water source and being able to filter water or collect rainwater. like Things like that. I'm not talking about being a prepper necessarily, but just in case, are you resilient? Are you physically strong and capable, right? Do you have that, right? So it's working out, being, and that may mean a lot of things for different people. Again, that may mean going for a couple mile walk every day. That may mean trying to squat 600 pounds, but whatever that is for you, are you resilient in a way that is an alignment for who you are and who you want to be and how you want to show up in the world? And I think a lot of that also has to do with being connected to your humanity. So much of that, so much of that resilience comes from being connected to your humanity and not disconnected. Because once you're disconnected from your own humanity, you can blow with the wind, right? Whatever the the, the the cultural winds are blowing and you're just kind of out there flapping around. That doesn't really breathe, or that doesn't really create an environment of resilience within yourself. And again, I bring up that work capacity piece because to me that's huge, Right? Are you emotionally resilient? Are you physically resilient? Are you mentally resilient? It's something we can all work on. What are those internal resources that you have? Those internal, we have our resources outside. We have money and we have, you know, whatever, we our property, whatever we have, right? We have those resources, our cars and whatever. But do you have the internal resources to become a more resilient human being? These are all things and they're quality questions we can ask as we start to try and, introduce productive friction into our lives. And the third principle that I find incredibly important, and you can see how on a Venn diagram, these all kind of work together, but the third principle of this show, my personal uh, third principle, and what we'll be working through in this podcast and the content we produce, is passion, right? Passion. And when I say passion, I don't mean like love necessarily, but do you have things in your life where you are intrinsically motivated to show up for those things as the best version of yourself. And we can also, you know, put a little fun in here, right? Cuz being passionate about things is fun. Challenging yourself is fun. For me, golf. I'm incredibly passionate about golf. I love golf. Right? I want to show up on tee box number 1. I want to show up at the range an hour before I play as the best version of myself. I want my timing to be good. I want my mindset to be right. I may drink one or two beers at most. Like I'm not a drinker golfer. I go out there and I want to go low. I want to leave that being like there were some wins today. There were some things to work on. I write that stuff down. I've got a I've got a journal in my in my golf bag. Like I take it seriously. But with that, it's like well, yeah, golf is you know if shit were to go down. You know, if there's a nuclear war. Like you're not thinking about golf. But because I want that mental resilience and I want to be passionate about something. Like that's something that's me versus me, right? I'm also very passionate about elk hunting and backcountry hunting in general, but specifically elk hunting. But elk hunting, duck hunting, pronghorn, deer, all these kind of things, I love this stuff. Pig hunting, I love it. I'm very passionate about it, right? And I want to show up on September 2nd. I want to wake up in my sleeping bag or in my my rooftop tent or wherever I'm at or driving up at 3 o'clock in the morning to the mountains I want to be in the woods on September 2nd, the first day, the opening day of archery elk season, as the best version of myself. That's how I define a passion. So, do you have things in your life where you're driven to show up as the best version of yourself to that thing? Doesn't matter what it is, it can be paintball, it can be knitting. I don't give a fuck. It can be working out. A lot of people are very passionate about working out. I had to come to terms with the fact that somebody who worked in the fitness industry for 10 years and has been nothing but passionate about fitness most of my life, I'm not that passionate about fitness anymore. But I have a principle of resilience, and my passions require me to be in good physical condition. Therefore, I get my fucking ass in the gym, and I put in work, and I do things I don't really want to do. Today I was doing a bunch of structural work for my hips. I did not want to do that, but it creates longevity so I can pursue my passions and be a more resilient human being because I'm operating from a place of principle. So you can see how understanding this, you can cut out so much bullshit out of your life. And we can create because human nature will point us towards incentives. Right? We are we will move towards incentives. Trees move towards incentives. Animals move towards incentives and we are animals, we move towards incentives, right? Plants will grow towards the sun if they need the sun. There's a reason that all trees don't grow straight. They grow towards where the most sun comes from. Look out, go outside and walk around. Look at tree branches, right? They bend and turn based on when and how they grow. It's beautiful, and we don't operate any different way, right? We move towards incentives. So who is putting those incentives in your life, in your life, who is putting the incentives in your life? Is it you? Right? Is it, the, is, some, is it some asshole on Instagram? Who's doing it? Is it productive for you? Or is it distracting? Is it stressful? Right? These are all important things that we need to confront and acknowledge to move forward. I also think that when our in our passions, we do need some kind of quantifiability, right? Some kind of measurement for ourselves, whether it's, it could be a, a feeling. This is why I think journaling is so important, because we get a chance to kind of quantify where we are in our life, how we feel, kind of these self-reports. We need these in our passions, right? For me, in hunting, it's like, okay, are you hearing bugles? Cool. Are you seeing elk? Are you smelling elk? Are you finding wallows? Are you putting in the miles? Are you reevaluating the way you're doing things? Are you e-scouting? Do you have your cameras up? Are you checking your shit? Are you sleeping in? Like these are all things I can look at and be like, I can self-assess. And with that, we get this in this flow state. We can also find like a sense of obsession in it. That's beautiful. That's like a beautiful part of life is being so passionate about something that it fucking, you go to sleep thinking about it. I'm also very passionate about being a father, right? Which is something that I knew would happen, but I'm still just like in awe of the way that I feel internally all the time. Like I'll randomly just start crying. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So if you operate, the show will operate through the principles of curiosity, resilience, and passion. And I hope that can can do something in your life, right? If you help you, maybe help you understand the way that I'm articulating this, help you understand like, hey, I should evaluate what my principles are and then what values manifest out of those and what actions manifest out of those values. It's a fun game to play. And it's productive friction. It's the kind of resistance we need in our lives to check those boxes, to move through. So that's where we're going with this. In the conversations, in the dialogue, even when we talk about culture and political things, we're going to do it through those principles. And since I have those defined now, I've got a measuring stick kind of for myself. And I'm fucking stoked on it. And if that's not what you're here for. That's cool. I get it. No judgment. It's not, you know, whatever. Do your thing. If it is what you're here for, fuck yeah, let's, let's roll. Let's get into it. Leave a review on the podcast. That'd be great. (laughs) Maybe share it with some people. On top of that, I will be offering coaching again, which I'm really excited about. I'm only taking two clients a month. Uh, It's gonna be a fun program. The website's being built out right now. Uh, The rebrand is kind of going through. It's gonna be a process. Um, But I wanted to give you guys a heads up on where this is going, kind of my first day back. And even though we were handling this right now, like even there was a shooting, right? Everybody knows about the school shooting that happened uh, yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. And now it's like it's a mental health thing. It's about guns. It's about this. It's the same shit that happened last after the last school shooting, and no one will give a fuck in a week. I hate to say that, you know. But if we want to be honest with ourselves and operate from a grounded place, it's a consequence of living in this country and the way that we run things. Do I have plans? Yeah. Do I have an idea of what we could do that would help? Yeah. Is it gonna Is it gonna matter? No. It's the same idea I had after Uvalde. And after the next school shooting, I'll probably have a similar idea, maybe a little bit different. And after the next one, it'll probably be the same, but it won't matter. It won't matter. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna post on Instagram about it, right? I don't. I don't need to be engaged in the comments. Why? I'm sad those people died. It sucks. I'm sad that people are overdosing on fentanyl on the streets. It sucks. But I can't do anything about it. You know. It, I, neither can you. It's terrible. So we focus on things we can do something about and don't get dragged into it. Right? We don't get dragged into it. And a part of that is emotional resilience. You know, it's not being cold. It's not not having feelings. But it's, you know, it's worth thinking about, like, how much we're getting worked up about things that will be gone in 10 days. You know, not to the families impacted, of course. And if it was one of our kids, it would never be, it would would never be the same. But that happens every day, all the time. And it's, it's brutal. It is. But that's an example of something else, right? Something else. And you'll see now, and I got to be honest, there's people I've lost a lot of respect for that I really care about. Because I've seen them go down the path of grifting and furthering a divide, Because as I've said, human beings operate from from incentives, right? Now we can be in charge of those incentives and we can put those incentives in place based on our principles, or we can have those incentives defined by money, right? And attention, which are addicting to human beings, right? Validation is something we all crave. And I've seen people that I used to appreciate for their nuance and objective views go down the path of being a grifter on the right or the left, and profit from increasing divisiveness and furthering the gap between us and our neighbors. I have zero interest in doing that. I have very little respect for people who do that. And maybe one day they'll be held to account. Maybe not. Maybe they'll stack paper and that's great. Again, is there something I'm going to do about that? Only if it confronts me in any real meaningful way, which is unlikely. So what do we do? We bring it back to us. We engage in our own lives. We operate from our principles. And we lead our families and our communities in the best way we can. And impact them by example. And don't get caught up in the bullshit. That's why I'm here. I feel like that's something I can offer you guys. I do have a tendency to give zero fucks. And maybe I need to do more of that. You know? But again... Property from principles. So before we get in that, you guys asked some questions on the gram, on Instagram. So we're going to go through a few of those. Our friend Megan says public education or homeschool. What will you do? Uh, Probably a combination of both, actually. Combination of both. Uh, We're going to do some homeschooling early on, but um, I'm really our daughter playing sports is really important to me. I mean, my wife is six foot one. I'm six foot four. My wife played volleyball at USC. I, um, had athletic potential, (laughs) never never really had that, uh, um, kind of juice behind it to do something great, but I did play some football and I, I I was there. I just didn't have, that's why I don't want to live in a small town is because I want my daughter to have access to more sports. Uh, very going to get her into golf really early on. Uh, just things like that, because I think there's a lot we can learn through sports and group sports, uh, but she will be going to a public school. I'm sure we're just going to try to find the best one. And we're, uh, we're very likely to move by that time. Anyways, out of Colorado, as sad as I am to say. Um, so we'll see, but I think homeschooling has a lot of value. Um, I think it's really important to also have like a group if you could do that, like uh, the the homeschooling mom groups or parent groups where you get these kids around. I don't think that there's like any, oh, they're not going to be socialized. It's not like you're raising these kids in a fucking cave, right? Like that's a weird thing that people say. But I do know some kids that were homeschooled that are, whenever they got into uh, public school in elementary, like fourth, fifth grade, they were super awkward and weird. But you get over that. And I think, you know, if you're going to homeschool, I think, communication skills and putting kids in situations where they have to kind of think for themselves is super important. And I think sometimes homeschooling parents are a little bit more like, um, overbearing in the way they handle themselves. So, or handle their kids, which is, you know, raise your kids the way you want. You have the freedom to do that. 1000%. Um, I'm just saying that's a trend that I've noticed. Uh, and I think sometimes challenging kids to have different ideas and the ideas, even if they're bad ideas that like come from school can be important to say like, Hey, like, you know, if, kid comes home with some crazy ass idea they learned at school instead of being like, that's wrong. That's bad. You know, it's like, well, what do you think about that? And why, you know, that's, that's, I, I know that I live in the United States of America and my daughter is going to learn about Christianity at some point. And my response to that is it like, this is fucking bullshit. It's asking good questions. You know, I think we do have a crisis of a spiritual crisis here. Um, do I think that Christianity is the answer? No. Um, it hasn't really been the answer in the past. It seems to have been the prevailing ideology in this country that has led to, in my opinion, a equal and opposite response on the other side that is equally, if not more so, ridiculous. Right. And so these ideologies running amok has been a problem. And so my friend, it's like, it's like uh, I have a friend in Texas who said she's her kids are in a private school that is religious and their family's not religious and her her kid thinks that uh, Jesus is actually the literal sun in the sky, which does have some merit, by the way, to dig into it. Like the idea of this like old, because a lot of things in Christianity, as I've said, aren't exclusive to Christianity. Um, so like this idea of like the sun, like the S-U-N and the S-O-N being the a similar uh, mythology, right? Like the rising of the sun. It's like, it all kind of stems from these same, Ideas, which is really interesting. If you dig into like, look at Greek mythology and dig into that, and look at Norse mythology, dig into that, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, and I think through all of those we can kind of dig into like, oh, there's some really real some lowercase t truths in here that are older than Christianity, older than Buddhism even, which I think four thousand years old at this point. So it's yeah, it's 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 wild to think about. But it's like asking these kids quality questions and getting having them presented with bad ideas is actually kind of important in my opinion. And school is a challenging place, especially like junior high level, um, where kids are going to be like bullied. You know, our daughters can probably be really long and lanky. There'll probably be some mean things said. And how do you deal with that? Are you building resilience again? Parenting from principals. So when it comes to our ideas about school, like I do want to probably do some homeschooling early on. Um, and I know there's some schools that I want to go to that are a little bit more look into that are a little bit more, um, diverse in the way they, they work with their kids. Um, and they don't have like that similar structure. And I really think that as long as I'm t- she's going to a school where she's learning how to think and not what to think, then she's going to be okay. And that's that, that fits along, along with the idea of like what I want to do with my kid and how I want to raise my kid. So that's where I'm at with that. Our boy Matt says TRT he wants to know about TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. Yeah, so hormone replacement therapy or testosterone replacement therapy I think can be really vital. Um, i think it's also worth looking at what are the other factors that are going into that decision right are you getting quality sleep number one what's your nutrition like if you can get before you start injecting yourself with exogenous hormones look at all the other lifestyle factors that may be paying a playing a role in doing that and if you want to get on trt make yourself earn it you know do 2 or 3 or 6 months of trying to get yourself dialed doing everything you can naturally getting blood tests every 6 to 8 weeks and just see where you're at get super invested in that and then from there maybe make adjustments later on but don't just go into some T clinic and be like hey I want cause they're going to give you I mean they're incentivized to give you testosterone so you're not going to get like a very much objective information from those people so do your homework. I actually go through a company called uh, Conover Wellness, Dr. Conover. He was on my buddy Cal's podcast, The Great Unlearn. Um, great dude, great company. Um, they do get a little bit uh, – it's, it's a smaller business, so there's a little bit of miscommunication sometimes. But uh, they're quality people, quality folks, and they do a really good job, and they have a lot of, a lot of information and a lot of different peptides and other alter- alternatives to testosterone if you want to try some different stuff. So def- definitely check them out. But I think it's one of those things, like, I'm on testosterone. Uh, I really like it. I'm older now. I also took it when I was a competitive athlete as well um, for different reasons. But now I'm getting it, you know, I'm, I'm faster than I would willing, be willing to admit. Approaching 40, um, it's more of a quality of life thing now. I like to get, have good energy, a good sex drive. Like, these are important things for me. Um, I spend a lot of time out, like, doing things and using my body. Um, so – for me, the sleep is better. I'm actually going to try and get on some human growth hormone as well, um, just to, just to try it out. I've always been really curious, and now I have the ability to try it out. So I'm be trying that as well. So I'll give you, I'll keep you guys updated. I'm, I'm really trans. Unlike Liver King, I'm really transparent with this kind of stuff. So um, I'm a fan, but I think it also comes with like it's it's a responsibility. So when you think about it, it's like it's not it's not nothing, right? There are consequences. It can be bad. Um, you need to stay stay on top of your shit. Get your blood work done. You know, and do everything you can before getting on TRT to, to optimize yourself before you, you know, start getting on gear. But I will say it's pretty fun. <laughs> Kyle says, how I can keep my fucking drives in the fairway is probably the most important thing. Yeah, dude, um, how you can keep your fucking drives in the fairway. So for me, with my driver, I can hit the ball pretty long. But my ball speed is really only about 150 miles an hour off the club. So a lot of people would say that's good. You see pros are in that 175 to almost 180 range depending on the course and how they're playing and the temperature and things like that. So I get really frustrated with myself for not, if, I don't, if, my, if I'm not averaging 290 to 300 yards on my drives, I'm frustrated, uh, depending on the course. Some courses just don't really, that's not really a benefit, so I'll da- dial it back. But for me, Uh, what I've found effective, uh, lately, and I've been working on a lot of things lately. So I've been a little bit cattywampus as far as how I'm playing. But for me, I like to have a variety of different drives and different shots with each club. So a lot of people that are amateur golfers would say like, I don't need to worry about shot shaping. I don't need to worry about how to, you know, fly the ball down or, you know, fly the ball high or turn the ball left or turn the ball right. I don't need to worry about that because I'm not good enough. I actually have a different view of that with the driver, irons, wedges, all these things. I think that the more creative you can get in your practice um, is actually going to give you more awareness. That doesn't mean you, you need to come out and try and hit like low cuts on the, on the course when you're actually playing. But at the range, if you, know, if you understand the physics of moving the club across the ball where the club face needs to be and increase that awareness right, to try and hit a low cut or hit a draw or hit a high draw or even draw your driver, hit it low, have a few different shots in there. And find the one that's most confident for you, right? Playing with, do I tee it low? Do I tee it high? You know, people that want that hit a, that hit a, uh, that generally hit a slice maybe need to tee the ball up a little higher and favor a more closed club face, which is what teeing the ball up higher will do. It also hits higher on the club face, which is going to take some spin off the ball. If you're hitting it low on the club face, you're going to get more spin on the ball and it's going to cut more uh, to the right. So playing with these things, but have that fairway finder. You know what I mean? When you're out hitting driver, when you're practicing, And of course, I mean, I'm hitting probably between 500 and 2000 balls a week. So I hit a lot of balls. I have a setup here at the house. I've got a mat, I got a net. Um, I was actually just working on hip turn today because I've noticed that's something I've had, I've been struggling with, which is giving me poor ball compression and just like inconsistent ball striking. Uh, so I've been working on that and just cutting the best swings back. I get really worked up and hitting up hitting too much ball, too many balls and then fatiguing myself and then being hard on myself. And I'm really tired of hitting off mats. I'm ready for the grass here in a couple weeks. Um, But for me, have that fairway finder, like that's something that really helped me. And that means, you know, maybe it's only going, you know, 230, 250, 200 yards, whatever it is. But if you're playing from the fairway, you're going to play better golf uh, for the most part. The exception to that for me is on par fives, which I have the length to get close to the green and even even when I'm playing out of a bunker out of the rough close to the green, maybe I've got a five yard chip shot up to the green on a par five. Uh, I'm gonna usually rather play that than try and play conservative and lay up to a hundred yards out just because I have more confidence with those um with those lower lofted clubs around the green and i've got a pretty I've got a, a pretty good hands around the green, so I know that's kind of my style of playing. But finding that fairway finder and playing a variety of different courses, and sticking to that. Now, there's going to be times when you're playing a scramble or whatever where you want to fucking rip, and you should have that, practice that, right? It's fun. It's fun to practice that. But if you can work on your shot sequencing, like what's really slow it down and think about that shot sequencing. And one thing that I've really got a lot out of in this far is sequencing, right? So like in your, in your backswing, staying over the ball, keeping your back to the target just a little bit longer on the way down, right? Which is going to encourage you to get your hips through, Right, that little mini pause is super helpful. Something I've found actually really helpful is watching my favorite professional golfers. Right, so the people that I look at their swing and I go, I want to emulate that. Two people I think are really helpful is uh, Cameron Young and uh, Colin Morikawa. Right, so Cam Cam Young is doing really well on tour right now. He's gonna he's gonna win a major I think this year. That's my kind of my prediction. I, I've got him saved in my little fantasy pool to win a major but he's got that long pause at the back of his swing and just crushes the ball because he's able to load up from the top and his sequencing is really great. Colin Morikawa has that really slow backswing. So though he has this impeccable, so much discipline in the backswing. And that's what I look at and go like, okay, I'm not going to hit the ball like those guys because I'm not as good as those guys. But I can take away some, some principles from their swings. And that's where I actually write down my swing thoughts. So in my journal, I have a, a page for wedges, a page for, or two pages for irons. And then I've got my fairway medals and my driver on a different page. And on the very front cover of my little uh, journal, I have my swing thoughts. And for me, you know, tempo discipline is a big part of it. So I just think tempo discipline, if I'm hitting the ball shitty, even if things aren't really working out, if I just work on that tempo discipline, if I have that little pause at the back, even if it doesn't look like I have a pause, I feel like I have it. It's going to create a little bit more lag, get a little better ball compression. Uh, my wrist going to be in a better position coming through. And then I can start thinking about all the other stuff. Like, Oh, my lead wrist needs to be here. I need to fire through with my tail wrist. Like if my follow through needs to be this. If I get all those thoughts in my head, it can't really fuck me up. But if I can just think tempo discipline, right? Like I'm long, Kyle, I know you, you're a pretty strong, dude. Like you don't need to hit the ball hard or fast even to get some pretty decent distance. If you're driving the ball 260, 270, maybe every now and then rolling them out to 300. Right. But you're keeping them clean and you're hitting the center of the club face. Right. That's going to be really helpful. Um, and bringing up hitting the center of the club face to me is something I've really been focusing on because I'm a big heel striker. And if you're going to miss the center of the club face, miss it on the toe. Do not miss it on the heel. It's going to create too much spin. It's going to fuck you up. So maybe that means lining up with, instead of using that little marker on the center of your driver, line up on the toe. Right, line up on the toe and give yourself an opportunity to come through. And if you miss on the inside, at least then you're hitting the center, right? But you're way better off hitting it off the toe than you are hitting it off the heel. Uh, something I'm working on a ton. So higher, maybe tee it up a little higher. Maybe line yourself up with the toe on the at, the at the center of the ball versus the center of the driver on the center of the ball. Those are my amateur golf keeping the fairway tips and find that fairway finder at the range and stick to it. One more thing. When you go to when you go play, get there 45 minutes early. That's pretty standard. Putt first. Putt first, right? Get your putting and maybe a little chipping done for 15, 20 minutes. Then go hit your small bucket or medium sized bucket, right? Have variety in that. Maybe hit I start out with like a six iron sometimes, then go to a 50 degree wedge, then go back to a four iron, and then just bounce around. Hit the driver last. Hit the driver last. Know what hole you're going to play on number one visualize that hole and play that hole. Play your swing on that hole. Do that last. The last shot you hit at the range should be the first shot you're going to hit on hole number one. That has been helpful for me. Keep it in the fairway. Moving on. Um, somebody says uh, you should have a here's what you can do section as a response to some of the political stuff. Yeah, that's, what, that's really what we're focused on. I think I'm glad you said that, Andy. Um, here's what you can do. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. We're going to be focused on what you can bring into your actual life, leveraging the fuckery we live in to actually make an impact in our own lives, versus just pissing into the wind. Uh, bank collapse and the dollar, blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, again, what the fuck are we going to do about it? You know, I'm not going to give you financial advice. Uh, if I was, I'd say like investing companies if you had the capital to do so, uh, allocated to the companies that have a positive cash flow, uh, that pay dividends, and um, are not very volatile um and more monopolistic i mean monopolies exist railroads are monopolistic and they compound and they pay dividends even though they exploit their workers like you got to get yours right um nvidia actually ended up paying off for me and tesla is eating my lunch right now but i think they'll do okay but i've really focused on more positions like texas roadhouse which i wouldn't say i would get into now but i got into it at like 88 dollars a share it's at 104 105 it gets up to 107 sometimes I may actually liquidate that just because I think it's at a fair value and I'd like to put that money elsewhere. But if you're going to invest, like look at positive cash flows, really be mindful. Like like think about Disney. You think they'd have good cash flow, but they don't because their employee compensation, their corporate compensation is so disproportionately high. They pay their executives so much in stock-based comp that it eats into their cash flow so much it is a shitty company. Do not buy Disney. I, that's the only financial advice I'll give you. Do not buy Disney. Disney has put out nothing but shitty products for the past several years. The last good movie that Disney made was Infinity War, Infinity War Endgame, and Moana. That's it. That's the three movies they've made that are worth the shit in the past five years or six years, whatever it was. It's been awful. And they do nothing but reward themselves at the executive level for making shit movies. And they are absolutely tanking right now. Marvel is in the toilet. Stay the fuck away from companies like that. Somebody I like to follow when it comes to practical investing that's actually put some real winners in my portfolio, his name is Joseph Carlson. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. He's got Joseph Carlson in his after-hour show. He has a growth portfolio and a dividend portfolio, passive income portfolio. He's got about half a million in in, in total in co- uh, as far as where he's at now. I think his cost basis was a little bit, probably 400. So he's doing well. But he has, you know, he's, he's helped me a lot in understanding how to look at these. He has a great uh, Patreon I, I recommend as well. So check out Joseph Carlson as far as, like, investing advice. But as far as the collapse of the dollar, man, like, I, I don't know. These banks get bailed out. Now it's incentivizing moving to bigger banks. And then one day you're going to be going to a bank and it's going to be like, welcome to Chase Wells Fargo, UBS, uh, Credit Suisse. It's just one bank. You know, it's like a bunch of hyphens. Like what the fuck? It's like a law, like a law firm. (laughs) It's like, what the, why are there so many names? That's where we're headed. So like, what can you do about it? Nothing, protect your money, but keeping it in cash, isn't that great right now? But yeah, six months treasuries are doing pretty good. Like it's just, it's, 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 there's a lot of, a lot of things to look at. Stay practical, ignore the hype. And I would even say crypto is in a tricky spot. Do what you want to do. But like, and I have a lot of faith in crypto, but it's just in a tricky spot right now. Um, let's see, moving on skills. Every man should know. This is from Ian skills. Every man should know, uh, to me, how to harvest food is important. And you see this a lot of like the, the quote unquote, like men's work community is, uh, a lot of men giving advice to other men. Right. And either it's like super spiritual, you know, like, um, sun your butthole, or like rub your nipples with crystals or some shit, like some David Data shit. Or it's like super antiquated stuff. Like the reason we don't have real men is because we don't have gun racks in our trucks anymore. I think some guy actually said that and then he blocked me for making fun of him. Like that was the dumbest thing ever. Um, and the reason you don't have gun racks in the back of your truck if you're actually somebody who like is in run and keeps guns back there all the time. Is because if you're driving down dirt roads like a lot of people do, they get dusty and clogged up. So when you actually go to pull them off the gun rack to use them, they're likely to jam because that's not the way to treat a firearm unless you're driving like from your house to like the deer fit, you know, your deer lease or whatever you're doing. It's dumb to keep a gun in the back of your truck. They can also get stolen. Like it's just a dumb thing to do. Put them behind the seat and that the gun racks are very popular in like rural areas because you could put them back there because you had a single cab pickup truck and maybe you didn't have a lot of space to store guns, So you put them back there on your, on your drive or, if you're somebody who works like a rancher or something like that, you've probably got a some kind of weapon in the, either in the back seat because most of those guys have four-door trucks now, which they didn't used to. They were driving a lot of single-cab Fords and Chevys, or they'll have one sitting in the passenger seat, which is what I would do when I was working is have one wedged in between because I had a bench seat kind of wedged in between uh, where the gear shifter was and the, the passenger seat and keep it down there so it's easier to acquire than behind your head and you also could keep it you know if you would put it away when you, when you were driving down the road or whatever because you didn't have to worry about coyotes or snakes or whatever you were looking for and a lot of people run like a little single shot 410 for snakes a little snake charmers what it's called like it was just a dumb thing it's like these really antiquated bullshit and it's like well that's silly you know but i think when it comes to like things a man should know how to change a tire right basic shit how to run a circular saw right acquiring skills learn this shit youtube exists guys Like I don't need to sit here and like tell you all kinds of crazy shit. Can you butcher an animal, right? Maybe that means going to the butcher. If you don't have access to hunting and getting a full quarter on a front of a front quarter and and a fillet knife and figure it out, right? Watch some YouTube videos, learn how to do that. It's really gratifying. My wife is learning how to butcher animals. My daughter is going to be better at most than most men by, by the age of 12 at like butchering animals. It's going to be great. I'm excited about it, right? Like learning how to do that, learn how to cook. Men need to know how to cook. Can you cook, right? Can you do basic shit? Can you weld? Welding is important. Do you know how to weld? Like I learned how to weld in high school. It was great. Like these things, there's access to all this information out there. Doing stuff with your hands. One thing we've learned in the past couple months is that chat GPT is coming for a lot of people, right? You know what chat, chat GPT is not gonna do? It's not gonna change your tire when you have a flat on the side of the road. It's not gonna fix your plumbing, Right? not going to fix the steps on your deck when they break it's not going to change your oil these are all really important things can you do these things right i wouldn't even say like oh you need to know how to like really appropriately like use a firearm but i kind of am saying that like do you have some adequate firearms understanding that doesn't mean you need to be a gun nut but can you protect yourself can you fight hey men can you take a fucking punch that's what I'm thinking. Like these men, a lot of these guys in men's work, right? With the exception of like Stefano Stefandos. That dude, that dude can take a, I wouldn't want to fight him. That would be a That's one of those fights if I, me and Stefano Stefandos spot is one of those fights and there's a handful of people like this. No one would win. We would just both be beat to shit. <laughs> that's how most fights go. That's how most of my fights, even the fights that I like won, they suck. You hurt, it sucks. It's not fun. But can you do it? Maybe you need to go do some Muay Thai, do some jiu-jitsu. Are you comfortable in that? Are you comfortable with violence? I just think these things are, these are things that men need to be able to do. That doesn't I mean you don't invite violence, but are you comfortable with it? Can you take one on the chin? I think it's important, guys. And if you're taking men's, men's advice from somebody who's never been punched in their fucking mouth, I just think that's a bad idea. If you're taking men's advice from somebody who can't change their own tire, I think that's a bad idea. If you're taking men's advice from someone who drives a fucking G wagon, I think that's a bad idea. I think you might be led astray. I think you might be dealing with a grifter. If you're taking men's advice about the second amendment from somebody who just got into guns a year ago, I think that might be a bad idea. I think they might be riding the hype of their excitement for realizing how cool things are that go boom. Right? So staying grounded right? Can you deal with things? Can you deal with high pressure situations? That's why I like jujitsu. I need to do more jujitsu by the way, but it's like you get choked out, you know what I mean? In a safe environment. Like you get to feel the panic. When I did Muay Thai, I remember we used to do stuff in the clinch, which is basically when you're like, your heads are together. You start with your heads together and you're trying to get position. And the, my heart rate would go, I mean, even somebody who's been in a a, a lot of fights, like fists, like street fights, the panic you feel like rubbing heads with somebody and trying to get your hands inside of their hands, fucking crazy. And then you think about at, like throwing knees on top of that, you know, where I got to the point doing uh, Muay Thai. God, I miss it. Now that I'm talking about it, I miss it so much. Cause I did that when I lived in Austin. Um, I was like, I would never throw a punch in a street fight anymore. I, like, I didn't grab somebody in the head and elbow the, or knee them in the ribs. Like that would suck way worse. And no one sees that coming. Right. People throwing punches is kind of dumb. You know what I mean? It's like just grab somebody and knee them in the fucking ribs a few times, and they're it's over with. And that's the thing. Like that's whenever I used to be in street fights on a regular basis, which was dumb. But when you're young and big, people want to fucking fight you. It's like you just sucker punch people. Like I did, I'd elbow people in the fucking mouth. You know, when it's like clearly this is going to be a fight, I wanted that thing to be over with as soon as possible. You know, so it's like it's one of those things where I think being comfortable with violence is something that men need to be able to do. And be able to defend themselves and their families. That's Maybe that's antiquated as well. But I also think you need to be able to like have a capacity for expressing your emotions. Right? Have, a, have ability to tap into yourself and articulate what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and maybe what you're unhappy with in a way that's not angry. Men are really good at being angry and not speaking up until they get fucking angry. It's stupid. Can you, when something comes up, be like, hey... Can you talk through this with me real quick? Just that, can you talk through this with me real quick? Not like I'm going to talk at you, but can you talk through this with me? I need a little help. Because one thing men also need to be able to do is ask for help, right? So it's all of these things. I think Cameron Haynes the other day on Chris Williamson's podcast, which Chris, I would consider Chris a friend at this point, a really good dude, but Cam is Cam, right? He's like, women want love and men want respect, and I'm like, well, that's dumb. Like <laughs> that's, that's, like respect is kind of nested under love. Like that's that's a thing. Like love is is so varied in the way that it, it is it expressed. Like that's not that's not really. That's not that can, you can't reduce it down that much, right? But I think one thing that men struggle with is not feeling heard, and then not feeling like they even deserve to feel heard. You know, when you're having some frustration or some anxiety or, or some feeling that's coming up. And for whatever reason that it it goes from whatever feeling it was to manifesting itself as anger. And that's not helpful for anybody. So can you say those words? Hey babe, I need to talk through this real quick or Hey mom or Hey dad. Can you talk me through this real quick and stay grounded through that? That's something that men need to be able to do. So it's all these things. Are you comfortable with violence? Can you work with your hands and men? Can you, can you express your emotions? And I really think that men in general, and this is a trend, you know, for for men, but it's not exclusive to men. is like we need things we can do, like tasks that we can finish. I think we get a big dopamine hit from like finishing a thing. Can you start a thing and can you finish a thing? You know, something I miss about working in the oil field was like you go to a job, you you start the job, you finish the job, you move on to the next job. It's like, oh, job all done, moving on. Whereas like some of the stuff we do now, it's just like you just never stop. You're just always doing it. It's like, you never like the podcast is done. Cool. Now it's like, I'm ready for the next podcast. It's like, you don't get that. Like, Oh, cool. Like that was, that was like hard work and it, we're done with it now and we get to see the fruits of our labor. It doesn't work that way in the same way. It's like, it just gets this continuous thing, this continuous stream of stuff to do. So I think we, since that's a lot of our lives now and like our white collar worlds and something that blue collar people get to like experience that I think is if you're a mechanic, it's like, Oh, the car comes in, you fix the car. It's like, cool, sweet. Moving on to the next one. Like different problem versus the same problem over and over again, which gets redundant. We need to add things into our lives where we get to like start a job, finish a job. You know, maybe it's like, I'm going to learn how to do this thing. To build this thing. I'm going to try something. I'm going to I'm gonna actually, instead of, you know, like our the steps on our deck out here are kind of wonky. It's like, instead of hiring somebody, I'm going to try and figure it out myself. You know, Kelly gets frustrated with me because I want to do more things on my own. But it's like, well, if I can find a way to do it myself and save us the money, why not? You know, I did that with the, all the rocks in our yard. We replaced all the mulch in our yard with rocks. And I had bought a skid steer. I, did, or not bought a skit, I, I rented a skid steer, which is like a little front-end loader thing. You guys have seen them like a bobcat. That's what they're called a lot of times. And like, I didn't know how to drive one. I watched a YouTube video, figured it out. I had 10 tons of fucking rocks in my yard and I had to move them around with a skid steer. It was weird, but it was fun. It was like, oh right, cool. I learned something new. Now I know how to drive a skid steer. You know, and I think we can do that. Like learn how to work a chainsaw, learn how to do all this, learn how to weld. Like I said, there's so many things we can do, but we need those task oriented things in our lives. And so we need to add those in and give us that like feeling of accomplishment. Then you have a cold beer, right? And then you go express your emotions. Like These are all things that, it's a well-rounded man can do all those things, in my opinion. All right, so moving on here, I want to bring up something that's been uh, kind of floating around. Sagar talked about it the other day on Breaking Points. It's been kind of floating around the internet. It's kind of this this decrease in patriotism, religion, hard work, yada, 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 those kind of things. This poll has come out showing the distinct drop-off in certain aspects of our culture since 1998. So let's check this out really quick. It says, fewer Americans prioritizing hard work, patriotism, and religion um, from Ground News. This is a really good Instagram follow, by the way. If you guys don't check out Ground News, I would recommend it. And it shows here 70% of the coverage of this is from the right. Um, Only two sources from the left and then a few from the center. So... Interesting. Then they say here is a blind spot for the left. That's one thing that Ground News does is kind of show where the bias is in certain coverage. Now we look at this here. and We think about okay, patriotism drops from seventy percent to thirty eight percent, and I want to start there. So patriotism is an interesting thing because that word has kind of been for lack like, kind of been co opted by the by the right, and I don't like that because when I look at this, I'm like patriotism. Like I consider myself patriotic. But I'm also hypercritical of the United States, as in the same way that I'm hypercritical of my own life. Like I am incredible. I want the best for this country, and I find that criticizing this country in the ways that I feel like it is gone in so many different ways. People would say that I'm like anti-American, right? And I get called that all kinds of all the time when I feel like blindly following a centralized power. Right? In the federal government is not patriotic whatsoever. I feel like that's what people in China would expect, right? The CCP would expect that. That's not, that's not the the principles this country was founded on. That's not the patriotism that our forefathers talked about, right? The definitely not evangelical Christian founding fathers, right? This is, this is not what people were looking at here. And in 1998, we got to think about why were people patriotic, right? Well, it seems like since then, since 2001, we have been in nothing but endless wars. And yes, that was a problem by 1998, and ever since Vietnam, for sure. But now we've seen how poorly that has gone. At the time, we had this kind of remnant of of the lingering kind of like encouragement from World War II, even. Right, And and we had this kind of, even Desert Storm seemed to be like, like it was portrayed as some kind of success, even though uh, that's debatable. Like, when you look at patriotism, it's like, I don't know, man. I actually don't know if a bad thing that people are more critical of the federal government. That's what it seems like. Because that's what, what, patriotism is such a loaded word. What does patriotism mean to you? Right? It's not like this word that can be easily defined. Right? Because if I would think that, like, what, what a lot of people think of patriotism is unconditional support for the United States government. Right, that seems to be like somewhat patriotic. That doesn't seem like patriotism to me. To me, patriotism is, patriotism is wanting the best for this country, right? I consider Bernie Sanders a patriot. Weird, right? You know, I think Donald Trump could be considered a patriot. These, like, if they really want what's best for the country, well, then that means you're patriot patriotic, in my opinion. So when you look at this thing, it's like, well, that's interesting. Right there's there's a lot more packed in that than what is being portrayed as some kind of like oh man people are anti-American that's not what that's not what that means necessarily like the meaning of that word has shifted quite a bit and it's very very loaded. Now we look over here at religion dropping from sixty two percent of people were religious to thirty nine. We can also that's very loaded as well and that's one of the things about just embracing nuance when you look at that. I look at that as a failing in many ways of our culture because I think there are lowercase t truths. In religion, even Christianity, my view of Christianity has changed quite a bit. I think people, and I call it out all the time, right? That the kind of the toxic traits of, of Christianity and how they manifest in our in our reality here. And if I lived in Iraq or Iran or Saudi Arabia, I may be talking about the effects of of, of Islam, right? It's it's, it's just that's the prevailing cultural dogma that exists in this country. But there are some great things in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Do I think he was the literal son of God? No. But there are some great teachings there. There's also great teachings in Buddhism and Taoism and Hinduism and Islam. And what I look at here is the lack of variation in mainstream belief systems. Right? You'd be like, well, there's lots of variation. There's Christian, there's a Baptist, Methodist, uh, Presbyterian, Catholic. It's like, well, <laughs> that's not really a lot of variation in my opinion. But I think if we had, because there are these moral frameworks that are common threads throughout different belief systems. And if all of those belief systems had the same amount of respect culturally, I don't think you'd see this drop off. And what I think and what I believe is that there is a there's a reason, there's a variety, right? Like Buddhism resonates with me much more than Christianity does. Now, I may take the same things out of that, out of meditation and things like that, that a Christian would take out of prayer. I don't think that they're they that different. If you look at prayer in the Bible, it's actually, a lot of it was just like being quiet and receiving, which is very similar to what meditation is, right? Like listening for God, right? Like that's meditation, you know, and there's like this bigger concept of God, and even Christians have kind of taken and like taken ownership of that word God, which I don't like, because God is a big word, right? And if you look at, if you actually take the time to dig into different mythologies, you'll see common threads, and those common threads, in my opinion, are the truth. Like that's the truth, right? And by the dogma of Christianity, kind of choking out other valid and impactful belief systems, I think this is the response to that, right? Versus as, as kids growing up being like, hey man, there's all these different belief systems and they all have great value. And we can look at them in an objective way and see the value. I mean, if we put them all in a Venn diagram, there's this overlap between all these major, these seven major religions. There's a book called God Is Not One. It's about the seven major religions of the world. And you start to see this overlap and like, that's the money. That's the good shit. That's the juice, right? And we get a little weird with the Old Testament, but New Testament, you got some good shit in there. Some really good stuff. And the mythology and the stories, and you got to think about it, like Christianity is a mythology. Buddhism is a mythology in a way. There's mythology in it, but it's at, at its core, it's a practice, right? The Norse mythology actually had a lot of really interesting nuance in it as well because they had this polytheistic view Where you had Odin and Thor and Loki, like you said, you had these really interesting people, and they were very complex characters, right? Or Zeus, like Zeus wasn't necessarily like this all good dude. He was kind of like a philanderer and made a bunch of mistakes. But you like you could learn through those stories because we all have a little Loki inside of us or a little Zeus inside of us, right? It's like you had these little people, like this, like they 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 were easy. They were relatable, right? We all know a trickster, right? We all know kind of a doofusy strong guy. We all know, like, it's like we have these characteristics inside of us and we can learn a lot through this mythology about who we are and like these morals from these stories. Like they carry a sense of morality in them. So there's like this Christian philosophy of the mythology is really cool. It can be really cool. And if it's done in that way without dogma, it, it, it can interact with other belief systems in a really productive way. And that's awesome. Right, so like the way I've changed when it comes to Christianity, I used to be so resentful because I didn't have a great experience and I felt very repressed, and it was like I felt a lot of shame all the fucking time for nothing. Like I thought I was going to hell if I jerked off. It was just not helpful for me. It was not done in an appropriate way for me. But the beauty is there's other belief systems, and one of them res- the beauty is there's one that resonates with me. There's one I can look to when I need a little bit of something, you know, when I need to straighten my shit out. I can look at this. Right, And I don't get dogmatic about it, but it's like, man, there's something in there. And that resonates. There's this resonance with it. And, and by closing off the variability and belief systems in our culture, we've closed people off to having the opportunity to resonate with these, these different belief systems that really do share a similar moral structure to the prevailing dogma of, the, of our culture, which is Christianity. Right? But the issue isn't Christianity itself, it's the dogma that surrounds it. So when I fight against Christianity, I don't fight against Christ, right? Or the idea of Christ. I fight I fight against the dogmic, dogmatic expression of that belief system. Right. And so if we look at it and we said, hey, man, if we had more variability, we had more openness, more curiosity around other belief systems culturally as a whole. Then maybe people would find something that resonates with them, and that would increase this kind of moral fabric that we are lacking. You know, the the conservatives are onto something there. Their solution to that problem, like I agree that is a that is a problem, but their solution to that problem is inadequate, and it's been proven to be inadequate because that's what got us here in the first place, right? So this this response to that dogma is equal and opposite, and we got to think about that. And you say, well, "It's the radical left." Well, it's an equal and opposite response. To the dogma, it's dogma versus dogma, versus open mindedness, openness to experience and curiosity versus open mindedness, open open um or op- openness to experience and curiosity. If you have those things, like wow, that's cool. Like oh, your 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 messiah believes this. Like that's oh, the, the Buddha said something very similar to this. I remember it was, so with my mom, I used to be so resentful and frustrated with her, and I would try to get her to see like that her religion was bullshit, you know, and. <laughs> At the point, I'm like, why are you doing that, dude? I was actually on mushrooms. And I was like, "Why? What, what benefit do you get from your mom losing her community, losing her faith? Like, is that what you want? She clearly gets a lot out of this, you know? She clearly gets a lot out of this. And it doesn't impact you. Now, when she tried to push it on me, that's what we had an equal and opposite response, right? She would try to push this thing on me and I would push right back. But whenever I... Went about it a different way. I said, hey, here's what I did. I was at home for Thanksgiving, I think, or Christmas or something. And I, went to ch- I was like, I'll go to church with you. And then we had the, we had an hour-long drive to go to a uh, family thing for whatever holiday this was. I said, I'll go, I'll go to the service with you, even though I don't like her preacher. But I went anyways. And I was like, I'll go. I'll go with you. And she was like, that's good. I said, but on that hour-long drive, we're going to listen to this podcast called the Secular Buddhism Podcast. Or Secular Buddhist Podcast, excuse me. And wouldn't you know it, right? The message of the sermon at that church on that Sunday and the message of that the most recent Secular Buddhist podcast that Sunday were the same message. Now, I took issue with the fact that the whole message was pretty much the same until you got to the end of the sermon where it's like, and if you don't take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, then this doesn't matter for you. I took issue with that, but hey. that's also, I think, the same time uh, the guy said you don't deserve god's love if you don't if you don't uh accept jesus christ into your heart and all that stuff and i was like uh, that's a, that's a, uh, I, well you know what whatever you guys want to believe that's cool if it works for you cool i it challenged me quite a bit but the the message was so similar and that because i came to her with openness and curiosity and was like hey and some willingness to move a little bit in her direction she responded in an equal and opposite way right she moved back. My, she said, okay, I'll check that out. She was like, "Well, wow, it was really good. And from then on, it's never been the same, right? She knows I don't want to go to church with her and I don't go to church with her, right? She knows she's not allowed to take my kids to church. But we have a respect for each other and we've had deeper conversations. Like We got into the weeds one time. She was down for my birthday and it was my, I think it was like my 30th birthday. She would come and visit me. And we had this long conversation about religion and I remember she left and I was crying. And I was like, it's actually the first time in my life where I actually felt like I had a mom. And the funny thing is, like, psychedelics helped me a lot with that. Buddhism helped me a lot with that. Meditation helped me a lot with that. Like, my practice, like, that was huge for me. And being able to come to her with curiosity and and, and just, like, and say, hey, you know, maybe whenever the Bible says, like, we're made in the image of God doesn't mean that we're physically made in the image of God. Maybe it means we're spiritually, emotionally cognitively made in the image of God, which if you look at the neural connect connections in your brain, they look very similar to the fucking universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, if you look at the iris of your eye, like it looks like a planet. Like, this, there's, cra- like there's, there's, if you zoom in and zoom out of these things, it's really beautiful and it's amazing. It opens you up. And there's, again, curiosity in this. And I felt like Christianity didn't really allow that in the way that it was done for me. So it didn't work for me, but I was able, in a beautiful way, to resonate with something else because I have I found and like, sought out that opportunity for myself. But what if that opportunity was normalized? And it wasn't so dogmatic. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something we can all grow from? I now mean, we move on, having children, that's socioeconomic. The primary reason people aren't having as many children as they want to have is because of finances. I mean, the average cost to have a children is, child is $30,000, I believe. You know, our bill was 30 some odd thousand dollars and they charged us almost 5,000 for things we didn't get. They they get, they charged us for the nursery, for blood tests that we did not get. It's a very corrupt system that nobody wants to address. And you know, when it comes to having children, people want to bring up like, well, there's so much abortion. Well, I think abortion should be legal up to 12 or 15 weeks and there should be a different thing for any kind of developmental uh, issues that are a medical issue that aren't a, an elective situation—they're more of a, a medical situation versus or a, a developmental issue—that's uh, a different conversation. But elective, you know, abortion as birth control, as people say, yeah, let's—that that, that should be legal, I believe. You know, I'm, I'm still pro-choice to a point, right? I'm very honest about the fact that after a certain point, I'm not anymore, right? It's like, well, adoption is your option now, but I think the way to solve that problem is by banning abortion. It's by creating a place where the working class has upper mobility opportunity and doing something to where having a child won't bankrupt you if something goes wrong, if you have to have an emergency situation like we did. Right now, we're lucky enough that we have the resources to handle that, to take that in. But even our deductibles, you know, we have to pay both of our deductibles. It's crazy. It's it's nuts. So when you look at this thing, it's like, there's deeper solutions to that problem besides like, oh, people aren't having kids. Why not? It's like, well, where does the, where does the upper mobility exist in tech and finance, you know, in a handful of blue collar jobs, where people can like make decent money in smaller towns. Yeah. Those, those, those people are still having kids. But if you live, live in a, in a, in a city, like I saw one lady, uh, I saw a story the other day, her rent went up by 20% because you had a kid because it's an extra occupant in the, in their, in their house. So the rent went from, I don't remember what it was. It was like 1,600 to 2,000 or something. It was, like, it was a substantial amount of money. Pretty much their disposable income every month because they had a child. Is that pro-life? I don't think so. Is, is fighting, is calling maternity leave and paternity leave a war on hard work? Is that pro-life? Is endorsing a four-day work week so people can have more time to enjoy their lives and spend time with their families, is that pro-life? I don't think so. But that comes from the side of the aisle that claims to be fervently pro-life. So we have hypocrisy that runs through the entire system and we don't actually care about changing the culture in a way that would endorse, or it, not endorse, but would, would um, what am I looking for here? We don't really care about changing the culture in a way that would support or incentivize people to have children. And having children, I mean, I remember the first time I held my daughter, I was like, God, I just wish more people could have this feeling. Oh. It's just, there's nothing like it in the whole world. But without the resources that we have, thanks to my wife, I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity. I mean, we had to do IVF because I have fertility issues. It was a whole thing. I mean, that our, she probably cost us $60,000 before the birth. Is that a pro-life environment? I don't think so. I don't think so. So it's a deeper conversation that needs to be had about that community involvement from 47 to then 62 to down to down to 27, like all time lows. People don't really care that much about community involvement. That's sad. You know, something that I really care about a lot is like coaching little league and stuff like that. But people get disconnected from that because they have to work so much. Right. (laughs) How much time do you actually have? You're working 50 hours a week and barely getting by. How much time and energy do you have to get involved in your community? We don't have a culture that encourages community involvement because wages are stagnant. Rinse through the roof. You can't buy a house as a normal living person. That was much different in 1998. What was going on in 1998? Average income, 60 some odd thousand dollars. Average housing, house price, $250,000. What is it now? Average income, $64,000. Average housing price, $640,000. Does it really Does it really uh, give us an environment for community involvement, does it? There's deeper questions here than people just changing their mind. And people's focus on money went from 31 to 43. The increase in focus on money as a sole um, value. They have to. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice but to focus on money now for all the reasons I've already stated. If you want to have kids, your number one concern is money. You want to buy a house, number one concern is money. Back when interest rates were reasonable and houses were, you get a, a decent house that was built in the 70s in 1998 for a couple hundred thousand dollars, your your mortgage is a thousand bucks, maybe. Different deal, different reality. Who wants to solve these problems? Does Anybody? but it is a cultural issue that we need to address. And it's very much worth talking about, but it runs deeper than a line graph. And I don't think that it's being discussed in such a way in mainstream media, but it's something we can do in our own lives. There's value in all of these things. There's value in loving your country and wanting the best for your country. There's value in some kind of belief structure that adds a moral framework to your life. Right. And maybe one day on this show, if you guys want or in the Patreon, we can go into like all the similarities between just Buddhism and Christianity. Right? New Testament Christianity specifically. (laughs) We can we can dig into that. I'd love to. But these are all things that are worth talking about and worth looking at. And they're things that we can personally in our own lives, in our own families, in our own communities, we can get more involved with and, and endorse more and encourage more in that. And make that change in our own lives. Will that change us culturally? Maybe not. But this says something that we can take a lot from and gives us something to think about. And with all that being said, it's that beautiful time of the show where I give you this part's staying, by the way. The rebrand's staying, the re-br- the, a lot's changing, but something to think about is staying here, baby. Giving you something to think about, let's go. Good to be back on the mic, guys. My dog's running around making too much noise, but he's driving my wife crazy, so he's in here. Will you go lay down, buddy? Will you go to your your chair? Go to your chair. Good boy. Go to your chair. Lay down. Lay down. Sorry, guys. We're leaving this in. Good boy. All the way. All right. So... (laughs) Oh, something to think about. You guys know I've done some drugs, some jungle drugs in the jungle, out of the jungle, some not jungle drugs, and I'm open about that. I am open and honest about my experiences. And I had this experience once upon a time. It was my third night doing ayahuasca, my first ceremony. So, third night, First night I'd had a really beautiful experience, very feminine experience. I'd kind of come into t- just really come in touch with this like divine mother. Like she just snuggled me and loved on me, and I needed that, man. I needed that. I needed to just be spooned out by the divine mother. It was just something, it was just something else. The second night I had a very masculine experience, and it was very dark. I fought a demon. with My dad, my brother were there. It was wild. But the third night. I had an experience with what I call Christ consciousness. It was to this day, and I've had some really beautiful ayahuasca experiences, but it was something else. And we were laughing, and we were looking over the world, and looking over history, and just like could zoom out of everything. And just communicate in a way that was special. It was was something else. And I felt like, I had like access to all this knowledge, but it was like s- sand on a beach. Like there was just so much, and all I could do was just grab a little fistful and take it back with me. That's what it felt like. And as I was coming out of this experience, and when it, it's kind of this like sometimes it's you just snap out of it. That second that it just I was went from getting the message and just right back to normal everyday consciousness. It was very abrupt, and I my first time ever having like a true psychedelic experience on that level. I'd done a little bit of mushrooms before that and smoked a little bit of DMT once and had like a mild experience that was really fun that I can talk about some other time. But it was my first real deep experience like really losing my physical body and just being like a in that state kind of beyond the veil there. And I remember coming out of it in this like slow, like laughing and smiling, just feeling so light. And I remember laughing at myself because I had to... I was like, I'm going to have to try to explain this to people, which I didn't have any obligation to, but at that time I was already podcasting. So it was like, I'm going to have to, no, I wasn't podcasting yet, but I had people that wanted to know about this experience, right? I was like, I have to explain this in words. I have to try to explain this with words. And that's so hard to do. How can I explain this experience with words, with the English language? Fast forward, you know, 10 years now, I guess it's been. And I was reading, uh, I'm reading this book on Norse mythology or Greek mythology. I remember which, no, I was reading, yeah, it was one on Greek mythology. And the author was going through all the different words that they had for love. But they didn't have one word as love. They had a word for uh, familial love. They had a love for romantic love. They had, a, they had a word for love for your children. They had these different words for love. And I was like, wow, how much different would our reality be? Because our language it's kind of the framework for our thought. We do think in our language, right? So if you control language, you can't control thought. That's a very that's a that's a that's something straight out of uh, 1984, right? But really, the word "love" tripped me out. And then I saw Cameron Haynes say this thing about like men want to be respected and women want to be loved, and I was like, that doesn't what? That doesn't make any sense. And he's a great bow hunter and a hell of a has a crazy work ethic and is a hell of a runner and is good at a lot of things but that just missed the mark for me. I was like that's not love isn't that simple. But we have this one word. There's one word to describe this feeling. I've got one word to describe how I feel for my family and my wife and my daughter and my friends. But they're all different. It's just love. So this language is so rudimentary and so clunky. We don't think about it that way. Like English, English is kind of a, a bunk language. If you listen to other people speak, it's like, wow, that's, that sounds way cooler than how we talk. But I think there is this closed-offness right, that we don't have access to if we only view the world through the language we have access to right it's just like we just it just doesn't do it and it's also if you think that that's all we can get if you think that's all there is is what we can do, define through the our current language if you think that's it oh, that's an arrogant an arrogant place to be a naive place to be and there's nothing worse than being arrogant and naive at the same time <laughs> Think about that. Just the variation in how big the word love is and how poor of a job it does at describing those feelings. And then extrapolate that out on the rest of the way we speak and the rest of the way we communicate. I believe that in past times there was other ways. There were other ways to articulate our feelings, other ways of communicating that may have been a little more broad that we don't have access to anymore. And that's okay. Every iteration of our reality as pros and cons. But can we really acknowledge our presence bias, right? This idea that we live in the best time ever. We don't know that. We don't need that arrogance and naivete to believe that what we do now and how we operate is the best that's ever been. That doesn't serve us in any way. There's so much more than what we have access to through our current tools. Especially language. But it's something to think about. I love you guys. Thank you for being here. Glad to be back. Excited to feel the changes. If you love the show, leave a review. If you love it a lot, join the Patreon. Link is in the show notes. Patreon.com slash Connor Wanders. Until next time, keep your head on straight, and uh, I'll see you then. Bye-bye.